Our gospel lesson this morning comes from John chapter 18, verses 30 through 38. Um, you can find it in your New Testament section on page 113. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It's a very rare calendar. And next week we begin Advent, which starts the new calendar year. But today, Christ the King Sunday, Christ the King Sunday, we turn often to parts in Scripture that we think about, who is Jesus as King? How is Jesus our King? And what kingdom is it that Jesus calls us to see? And today we turn to help us with that. We look at John again, John 18, verses 33 through 38. I invite you now to listen to the word of our Lord. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, Summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today, even the, the least interested in, in national news has likely heard something about the two trials that have taken place nationally. The first is um, Kyle Rittenhouse trial, where the verdict was handed down on Friday, and the second was Amara Aubrey's trial, where prosecutors and defense attorneys continue to be in the middle of questioning. In both cases, the persons on trial are the ones that shot and killed another human being. The question is not, is the right person being tried? It's not even, did they do it? The task for the court is, what is the truth? After Rittenhouse's verdict was given on Friday, we were reminded we still live in a polarized time with some of us believing that the truth was found, and others of us believing and wondering, does truth matter? The question, it is the question of truth that not only every court seeks, but really is the question that we all seek. It's a question that has been lingering on ever since Pontius Pilate proposed it to Jesus some 2,000 years ago. What is truth? It's an interesting word, truth. My friend Colleen Cook reminded me this week that when, you, when we think of truth, we think of it meaning the opposite of falsehood. The truth, the opposite of truth, is falsehood. But in its original language, in this exchange right here between Pilate and Jesus, the opposite of truth is to forget the question that Pontius Pilate proposed to Jesus is, what are we to remember? It's a question that comes in response to Jesus when Jesus said, I was born to testify to the truth. I was born, Jesus says, for us 
to remember. So the question then turns into, to remember what? And then to help us answer that question, we look even further into the passage and we, and we see why Jesus and all the other Jewish persons have now congregated in, in Jerusalem. They were there to celebrate Passover. Passover is celebrated to remember. To remember that God set the Israelites free from slavery. God calls the Israelites to remember time and time and time again throughout the whole Old, Old Testament. God does it right before the Ten Commandments. He does it right before they cross into the Promised Land. God says that, remember that I am the one that set you free. Therefore, you are to love God, love me with all of your whole selves. The Shema that the Jewish community posted on the door. This is the whole basis of The laws are created, yes, to help us live in a community, in a community, a kingdom beyond this world. But more importantly, they were created as our response to the freedom that we have because God has given us freedom. So often Christians believe that freedom resembles the freedom we receive after a court case or after a war. And this freedom is a wonderful freedom. It's beyond really all of our comprehensions, I think. And I'm thankful that I was born in the United States where such freedom exists. And as we said with the children, this is why we originally celebrated Thanksgiving Day. And although it was not completely recognized by the whole country until 1863, the first Thanksgiving was declared by George Washington in 1789. The reason for the day to give thanks for the conclusion of the War on Independence and the successful ratification of the Constitution. Our first Thanksgiving Day was not the celebration that we had the freedom to do whatever we please. For us to have some self-righteousness and gratitude. Instead, it was celebrating a nation living together in community. And somehow over the years, we have redefined freedom. Redefined it in the way that Jesus Christ defined freedom. Popular culture and many Christians would believe that freedom is to do whatever one pleases. That is all about individuals. Individualism. The answer to that is sure. Yes, Partly. Jesus was born into this world to remind us that God has set us free. And through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we are free to be the person that God calls us to be. And there is no one or no kingdom on this earth that can stop that from happening. God's love will always prevail. When Jesus is inviting Pilate to remember, he is inviting Pilate to remember our salvation that our salvation is a free gift from God. And there is nothing that we have to do to earn it. And there's nothing that we've done to deserve it. That you are loved by God as if God has nothing else to do. And that is what sets us free. And on the other side of that freedom, 
is a kingdom so radical that Jesus' followers would not even fight to save Jesus from this world. The other side of that freedom calls us to remember to love our neighbor. It's a freedom that calls us to be committed to a community. What is truth? Jesus keeps pointing is to both grace and responsibility. Talked about him a couple of times. Father Bull is a Jesuit priest that works with gang members who has known, and he's known a lot of gang members through his years. As he works with these gang members throughout L.A., he's known many young men and women who are in and out of jail, on and off drugs, some reform, some reforming, and many simply seeking for freedom for a loss to the violence in their life. When he'd seen so many people over the years that someone like Lisa did not really phase Father Bull at all. She was a fixture in the neighborhood, and everyone knew who Lisa was because Lisa was always screaming, screaming about something, screaming at the guy who kicked her out of the bar because it was time to close the bar, screaming on the phone to a family member or friend, asking for them to have a place to spend the night. She was just screaming, constantly screaming at the world. One day, Lisa appeared in Father Bull's office for the very first time. It had been a really busy day for Father Bull. He was running late to do a baptism, a sign that our freedom into God's kingdom is a, a gift of grace. But Lisa didn't care about Bull's important schedule. She just sat herself down in his office in the chair across from his desk, and she said to him, I need help. I have been to at least 50 rehabs. I am known all over this county, and not for the right reasons. And you know, though I did go to Catholic school my entire life, I even graduated from the, the Sacred Heart High School just right here nearby. And then she got really quiet. In fact, the first time I used heroin was the night I graduated. And I've been trying to stop ever since I began. At this point, she leaned her head up against the wall behind her, and her eyes just filled with tears, and she just cried and cried and cried and cried until there were no more tears left. Looking right at Father Bull with great deliberation, she said to him, I am a disgrace. As her shame filled the room, and Father Bull's shame rose to meet it. Because when she stepped into that office, he was more concerned with what he was going to say about grace at the baptism than responding to the grace right in front of him. Up until this point, he had not seen a human being. What he saw was an interruption. On the night that Jesus was arrested, before this conversation with Pontius Pilate, Jesus stood up and interrupted the Passover meal that he was sharing with his disciples. When after giving thanks, he paused and invited all of us to remember. Breaking the bread and giving it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, 
which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, he interrupted the conversations again. Once again, giving thanks, taking the cup, and gave it to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood. This is the new covenant, which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. In a few moments, we will all be invited to have a taste of truth. As we remember and come to the Lord's table, we come to this table that is also called, at times, the Eucharist. Eucharist means thanksgiving. That is, at the Last Supper itself, God, um, Christ gave thanks. And as Christians, we have nothing for which to be more thankful for. We also call this meal Holy Communion. Because we are sharing this meal, Christians believe that we are communion with Jesus himself. His spirit revitalizing our spirits. His sustenance providing us nurture. We are also in that, of course, communion with one another. Fred Beatner has observed to eat this particular meal together is to meet at a level of the most basic humanness, which involves our need not just for food, but for each other. The truth is, I need you to fill my emptiness just as you need me to fill yours. As for this emptiness that's still left over, well, we're in it together. Or it is in us. Maybe it's just the most, what makes us human. And maybe that's what makes us brothers and sisters. The next time you walk down the street, take a good look at that face you pass in your mind and say, Christ died for you. That girl, that slob, that phony, that crook, that saint, that damn fool. Christ died for you. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. May I also suggest that we not wait until after church. But let's start here. In just a few moments, we'll all come down to the table. I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to be very uncomfortable. And after you come to the table and you grab your elements, I invite you to form a circle. It's not going to be a perfect circle. That's okay. We'll form a circle. We'll form one big table, if you would. And we're at that table. I'd like for you to look across. The person beside you, the person in front of you. Who do you see? Those you've known your whole life? Those you don't know very well? Those that you're pretty sure that the world and the faith and the politics and everything else is very different than how you think of it? And those that see it just like you do. And then I want you to say to one another, the truth is that Christ died for you. Then imagine others joining our 
communion table this morning. Kyle Rittenhouse, Joshua Rosenbaum, Anthony Huber, Ahmaud Audrey, his mother, Wanda Cooper-Jones, Travis McMichael, Gregory McMichael, William Bryan, all children of God. The families of the 769,000 people in the U.S. alone who've lost a loved one to COVID, all grieving families and children of God. Those standing on the line of Belarus and Poland, no matter how they got there. And 1.2 million people have been turned away from our borders this year. All children of God. Joe Biden, child of God. Donald Trump, Nestle Pelosi, Ted Cruz, child of God, child of God, child of God. That struggling teen, child of God. The man who slept in our stairway the other day, he's a child of God. And the 300 homeless children in our, in our county, children of God. Those whom Christ was born and died to reveal the truth that they are loved and they are cherished by God include those that sit at home wondering if they should end their lives right now. And those fighting not to take another drink. And those that just opened up the ladder that said, I don't love you anymore. It also includes those who sit in prison. And the child that's visiting her dad in prison today. And those who feel so scared and lost, unsure where to turn to. All. All. All are children of God. All those who are told to remember. And all those we are called to love because God's love set us free. The grace that set us free. The grace that Jesus calls us to remember. The grace that, that brought Jesus to earth requires that we can't pick and choose. I, I can't pick and choose and gets, gets who gets my love in return. Who doesn't get our love? God's grace calls us to remember everyone all the time, even when we are the ones put on trial because we are being persecuted for Jesus' name. Because Christians, because as Christians, we believe the truth is not an idea in the mind, a philosophy or theology. It's not a creed. It's not liturgy or, or a book. It's not church. As Christians, we believe the truth is a man. Jesus is his name. He was and he is, we believe, perfect expression of mystery and the reality of God. And he taught that every human being is beloved of God, the object of God's mercy and generosity and grace. That every human being that interrupts our routines is created in God's image and is loved with everlasting love. And when he, whom we regard as truth, 
was asked, what is truth? He simply said, remember, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself.